Hey everyone, our Scrivener promotion has been extended, which means you have until May 10th to get 20% off of the Scrivener writing app. I'm using Scrivener to write out Guardian and have been noticing a lot of neat organizational aspects for it. For one thing, it lets you automatically divide books up by chapter and scene so that they can be easily formatted into any number of mediums from PDF to EPUB to publishing manuscript. I also really like the corkboard, which lets me put up all the little notes I think up for characters and scenes, and is much more convenient than storing them at the end of the Word file, or on a separate one, or on a sticky note, or text files, or all the other stuff I've been doing before. If you're thinking of trying it for yourself, you can download a 30-day free trial, and it's 30 days of actual use, so if you only use it for, say, 3 days a week, you'll get 10 weeks of being able to use it, which is pretty cool, I think. It costs $40 for the Windows version, but with the code rationally, you can bump it down to 32. Hope you find it useful. I'm Dave And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 28, Creative Appropriation, part two. So that's actually a good segue, I guess, to when do you take an idea and when do you just do fanfic, right? Right. Which is a form of taking an idea. But let's say you, you want to do a commentary on veganism, mm-hmm. right? Or on blood sport. Then you, you would want to go in your own direction and describe your own, you know, pocket monsters. Because it would lend weight to that area that you wanted to talk about that you want to focus on yeah yeah it's one of those things where so yeah i said i said i'm writing a, this sort of half-heartedly this like power rangers story mm-hmm. but i want i want it to be about the things that power rangers is not about so and i don't want a commentary on power rangers because i don't think i don't think there's anything in power rangers that i feel like needs to be taken on you need to take a look at uh, unlike superman who I really thought that one of the interesting things about Superman that the comics almost never do is they don't do this take on what it means to be good, right? Mm-hmm. And and what it means to like have that weight of needing to do good on you and this sort of utilitarian calculation and stuff. Comics don't really do that, and I want to do that, but it, it needs to be a commentary on the comics rather than trying to spin that out of nothing, because there's already this conflict that I think is inherent in the comics that I want to tap into. Whereas for the Power Rangers thing, I don't care about Power Rangers. And I don't think pa- Power Rangers is itself a commentary on the loss of innocence or I don't actually know my main theme for that story yet. But I know it's not going to be about Power Rangers or their place in our culture at all. Yeah. So for the question of also when you would borrow versus when you would create your own. I kind of like the metric of if you are trying to make a commentary on the original. Yeah. Rather than if you if you want to do something. It might maybe it's a difference between bottom up storytelling and, and top down storytelling. Right? Like if if you've got a, a concept or a problem that you want to address, it's probably easier not just for you as the writer, but also easier for the reader to just do what you can with the original material. Yeah. Whereas if you if you are coming into it with a separate idea that doesn't really relate to the themes of the original coming up with your own setting is a better idea yeah like if you want to borrow there's a sort of grammar Mm -hmm. to storytelling and let's say you're writing your own harry potter story Mm -hmm. that is 
cultural a cultural response. Yeah, I think it's better to just do your own. So what I would say that is that I can I can actually pretty easily imagine what a cultural response Harry Potter story would would look like. It would basically be let's take the concept of a kid raised in the modern normal world discovers he's magic goes to magic school but instead of it being taking place in britain and instead of the magic being about reciting words and, and wand movements and instead of flying on magic brooms and instead of the wizards wearing robes and pointy hats those are all british western european things right yeah if you were in south america or if you were in the middle east and you want to write a cultural response to the to that story you can do it with their mythology of magic users and their paraphernalia and and all those things that would make it more about their culture and their history of magic and i think that would be a great thing to do obviously you would want also to make the plot different you wouldn't want to just be a reskin that makes it more of a you're taking the theme you're not taking the core you're you're putting your own twist on the theme. Yeah, I mean, there's some discussion to be had about what is the core mm-hmm. of Harry Potter, right? And I'm not actually sure I know, but I think so long as you are trying to improve on the idea or you're trying to put your own twist on it, right. it's fine. And you're gonna hopefully that's gonna happen at some point anyway. But as a starting place, it's okay to take the themes and work your way through them. Yeah. The Sword of Shannara series, I don't know if you've ever read the Sword of Shannara, it is blatantly the Lord of the Rings. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I remember, <laughs> I remember, I read the Elfstones of Shannara when I was young and I really liked it, and I read the Wish Song of Shannara, which is the third one, and I read the, you know, Science of Shannara, which is great, and there's a whole other thing, and finally I was like, you know what, let me go back and finally just read the first one that I've heard references of through all these other books, and I read it and I was like, holy crap, this is the Lord of the Rings. This is literally the Lord of the Rings. Uh, instead of a ring, it's a sword. Instead of hobbits, they're veilmen. Instead of Gandalf being a wizard, the the wizard figure is a mysterious broody druid. Just everything about it was was Lord of the Rings, down to the split between the Fellowship going one way to save a kingdom in a in a final battle, while um the the veilmen with the magic item that needs to go to the bad guy's lair goes off on his own, and it's it's just. I don't know how that book passed without legal troubles. I don't know if it, I don't even know if it did pass without legal troubles. Maybe it was challenged and, and somehow won. But the world that sprang from it, the sequels and things was, was very unique and interesting. I like the characters and, and, and the stories and settings and stuff. So this is the reason I think a lot of people are proponents of open ideas, let artists build on each other's concepts. Don't worry too much about borrowing and stealing because the good things will rise from it and you can just ignore the bad ones. Yeah. I, un- I definitely understand the argument if it's a it's a if it's a matter of economic need, but also part of me is kind of like if someone else can make a better version of your story, you know that's that's kind of not their fault. <laughs> um, yeah. So what about uh, something like uh, magic systems? How do you feel about someone taking? How would you ad- adapt magic systems or adapt specific kinds of technology or things like that into into stories if you want to? advise advise writers on how to how to do that it's a matter of how specific you get in what you're taking right so like uh shadows of limelight the Mm -hmm. elevator pitch for the magic system is that being famous grants you power and that is that is the core of the system and that is how i wouldn't say most of the plot derives from that but a lot of elements of the world building come out of that and a lot of the characters come out of that 
like if you say if if you give that pitch to someone who's never read or even heard of Shadows of the Limelight, they would come up with a lot of the same things that I did. I think that that is how you want to start, right? I think that's that's how if you're going to take a magic system, try to take the core idea and the stuff that comes out of that naturally, mm-hmm. that's more okay to me to take than very specific things. Right. You wouldn't want to take the Mistborn magic system and just copy paste it into your story. That would be terrible. Right. But why would that be terrible? Let me let me turn that around and examine it. Uh, why would I find that terrible? Probably because that has, you know, obviously if you're writing a fan fiction, that's a different story. I have no problem with people writing fan fictions. But if you're writing an original world and original characters, and you just want to take that magic system, copy paste that magic system, I feel like I would potentially have a problem with it because you're not. And maybe it really depends on the execution here. What you might not be doing is again adding anything new to the concept. Yeah. If there's some, if there's some really cool idea you have for the concept of certain people can ingest bits of metal, and depending on the metal, they've got different powers, and the society builds up around that. Then maybe you've got a, a great story on your hands that you can you can elevate that that premise with. So that'd be okay. I would be okay with that. I think my my hesitation, my the reason my immediate reaction was to be, uh, no, let's not do that, is because I feel like when you once you take something that specific and mechanical that has nothing to do with the story elements in it, it's just a it's just a part of the of the setting of the story. You're no longer leaving that door open for growth. But I could be wrong. Maybe that's that's a immature uh, perspective of mine that I haven't really thought enough about. Yeah, well, I think it's it's boring first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's one of the ultimate sins of authordom is that if you if you're boring, no one's gonna mm-hmm. no one's gonna read it, and there's no artistic merit to boredom. Right, Not- there, in, except in like certain very specific postmodernist <laughs> scenarios. Not not that everyone's read Mistborn though, right? So it could be that you're writing a science fiction story uh, about intergalactic space travel and, and they've got nanobots that like break down certain metals and give you um, specific powers based on the metal composition that, that gets broken down in your stomach or whatever it is, right? It's it's the same core idea, but not everyone has read Mistborn, first of all, and not everyone has, who's read Mistborn is going to maybe be bored by that mechanic in a sci-fi setting. Yeah. Or if you take, I mean, it depends on what we're talking about when we're taking talking about core mechanic. Because if I mm-hmm. take, go to the Mistborn magic system and I, I say the core mechanic is you ingest something and you get a power for limited duration based on how much you ingested, and mm-hmm. some most people can only do one specific thing, and a lot of people, and there there's special people who can do all the things, um, and then I change, you know, the list of powers based on the metals. I change the list of powers. I say, you know what? We're not going to do metals anymore. We're going to do seeds, mm-hmm. right? So you ingest an acorn seed or you ingest a pumpkin seed and you get a, a power based on that, right? Right. That I'd be fine with someone taking because it's not – it would take me a while to even realize that they were doing this born, that they were that they, were, they had borrowed from that system. But if you take if you take too much, I think – I don't know. I think a lack of originality is a little bit of a sin all on its own because that's one of the things like execution makes up for a lot, right? If you can write mm-hmm. a better Mistborn series using all the stuff from Mistborn, I think that's the one thing that where execution can't quite save you. I was reading, a, I've been playing this game, Hollow Knight, which is a 
it's a metroidvania which means mm -hmm. that you it's 2d you go around you gradually accrue power-ups that unlock new areas and stuff like that and it is very well executed but it doesn't do anything new mm -hmm. and that makes it a worse game than if it were to try to add its own twist right. onto it i've recently played uh ori and the blind forest i don't know have you played that one um, I, I haven't. I was as The review I was reading for uh, Hollow Knight was basically, if you're going to make a Metroidvania and you're not going to add something new, then you're competing against the very best that mm -hmm. is in that genre, and why wouldn't you just play Ori and the Blind Forest? Yeah. I was thinking of playing Hollow Knight, but I tried Ori and the Blind Forest first, and, and I really enjoyed it. Story is mostly not not great, but the theming and the aesthetic and the mechanics that they do add to it are incredibly fun. Uh, once you get once you unlock those mechanics, it kind of changes the game quite drastically, and I enjoyed it quite a lot. And I agree, if it, it's it's very frustrating for them to have not made a Metroid game in so many years that really built on the original games of it and added more. So I've got to turn to other games. Right? I've got to be like, okay, if, if Metroid's not going to do it, maybe other games can can take their idea. Or Castlevania and Metroid are both not going to do it. Rather, uh, I need to look at other games, look to other games to take their ideas and, and do do better with them or at least do something different with them yeah and that's that's what we all as consumers want right we don't want these ideas to be locked behind ip and i hesitate to say loyalty because loyalty is you know ostensibly mostly a good thing but more along the, more along the lines of a single person's vision because humans are fallible people have limited time and the fact that one person can't come up with every possible good idea of a premise should be enough of a reason to have other people be able to play with that premise. Yeah. But if, as an author, you're going to an idea that has been done before and you're not putting your own twist on it, you have to be, make really sure that you're executing well. Especially if it's an idea lots of people have done before because, you know, no one's going to get pissed off that you're doing a monomyth, mm -hmm. right? Uh, well, okay, some people are going to get pissed off you're doing a monomyth because they hate the monomyth. If you do the monomyth and you're not putting a twist on it or you're not adding something new into it, then you're competing against the best monomyth stories that have ever been written. Right. And there have been so many written that statistically speaking, you're not going to, you know, it, people will be looking for a story that hits the monomyth markers and yours is going to be like way down the list right. unless you're an absolutely superb author because so many people have done it before that there's so much competition. I think seeking out a niche is one reason to go after originality, right? Yeah. It makes it a lot easier to pitch a story and have people remember something about it, I mm -hmm. guess. I When I think about um, like mystery thrillers, there are just so many of them. How do you, how do you write one that stands out? If you're just going to write another mystery thriller, what's the point? Right. Like, what do you what do you get out of writing that? Like, what do what do readers get out of that? That's just like. But I I don't know. There, I I think the same about some really long running series like uh, Super Sentai is the show that Power Rangers takes footage from, and they're at like 2,000 episodes. And I think to myself, why why are they why do they continue making episodes? Right. Is there such a demand that people, you know, what what is being added? I don't. I'm not going to watch 2,000 episodes of a Japanese children's <laughs> show. But like, what what is being added? What is the point 
mm-hmm. of continuing on to episode 2001. And that is that is definitely a a question I think sadly will be would be mostly answered by commercial reasons. Yeah. But I've never watched the show, so I don't wanna I don't wanna make an unfair assumption. Like someone might ask that of, of Doctor Who. And though I've stopped watching Doctor Who actually within the last couple seasons, not for any particular reason, more just because I just haven't made the time to do it and I haven't whatever whatever I, I stopped watching it didn't compel me to, to keep watching like it did earlier. You know, story ideas and and the same story idea continuing past a certain point for artistic reasons. I think we all know that it's not always artistic reasons that keep stories going, right? Right. It's commercial reasons. And one of the things that puzzles me about that is that it's commercially viable. Like uh, the Transformers movies. (laughs) To pick an easy target. Mm -hmm. Right. People just keep going to see the Transformers movies. Why, Why is this? Why does this make financial sense? Right. You know? Why, why do people keep going to see these Transformer movies? I guess because they know what they're going to get. And if you're wagering your like $10 when you go to see a movie, you're, you're, you're making a wager that that movie will be good. And you go into a known quantity. Maybe that's better. Maybe it's nostalgia. I don't I don't really know. I think about this with uh, serials a lot, too, because I think that there are some. Well, like Super Sentai is a series. Any television show is serial in nature. And a lot of times people will just continue watching out of that sense of investment. And this is like a a dark arts authorship thing. Like the authors aren't having fun and the audience isn't really having fun, but they're they're like in it. And so no one is actually, aside from the diehard fans, no one's actually enjoying the work, just continuing on. This is what I would would call the death spiral for a lot of TV shows and and, uh, anime too. Dragon Ball Z in my perspective, should have ended with the Cell Saga. That was the point where the mantle got passed down to Gohan, the the hidden power within him that had been hinted at and, and shown briefly from the very beginning of Dragon Ball Z when, when Raditz showed up. Finally, fully matured, he recognized his strength and, and came to the forefront and defeated Cell. And Goku was gone again, presumably for good this time, sort of, it's complicated, it's Dragon Ball Z. But, you know, it was it was a clear passing down of the mantle. And as far as I know, uh, Kira Toriyama did not want to keep the story going. But eventually, someone threw enough money at him, or the fan mail piled up so high that he could barely leave his house or something, and he was like, alright, I'll come back and do the Boo Saga. And uh, there were some cool things in the Boo Saga. Like, I, I, it's, there's not, it's not that there was no redeeming qualities for the story to keep going past that point, but it, it, they also just completely undid a number of things in the Boo Saga that kind of took, took overall nor- narrative away from stuff in, in the Cell Saga. And there was a really irritating aspect of the Boo Saga where, once again, Goku saves the day. And it's just kind of like, all right, well, I guess we're back to this now. Yeah. Goku's the main, and, and you know, what was even the point of Gohan discovering his hidden power and, and becoming Mystic Gohan and all that stuff? It's just whatever. But now we've got Dragon Ball Super, sequel series by Akira Toriyama, because he finally said no more. Dragon Ball GT came out. Many people hated it. It finally came out with Dragon Ball Super, and, and there's a lot of new stuff in there and some of it's repetitive and derivative and some of it's not but that's a whole separate argument that can that can go back to the question of like how important is is originality and borrowing even within your own ideas for your own story yeah so one more thing before we end is do you what do you what would you say to someone who want to take one of your works and 
expand on it. Like, what if if you can give a suggestion about something specific that you'd like to see a fan like take something from yours and expand on it, or what would you say to someone who was who was looking at your stories and being like, I could write a, I could write something on on that. I can take something from that and write write my own version of it or whatever. So I've had a number of people ask for Metropolitan Man. I always say yes because mm-hmm. like it's a fan work first of all. Right, right. So it's not like it's not like I'm ever going to make any money out of Metropolitan Man bearing something spectacular happening with you could i don't you, know what it would take but you, you could you could do your own um i think i've mentioned irredeemable before have you read it the comic no invincible is the one i read which is gotcha okay so not the, it's not the same people all right so uh yeah irredeemable does the superman xp and you could totally pitch your story as a xp and, and change the names and stuff again like you said there are good reasons why it's a why it's a superman fan fiction why it turned into a Superman fan fiction opposed to its own its own thing. Yeah. So I, I, I could do that. I generally encourage people to do whatever they want with that. I, there is there there are one or two pieces of fanfic for Shadows of the Limelight, which I'm totally totally cool with. Mm-hmm. I mean if you want to do for fan works, it's like an exploration of the ideas I've presented. And uh, that's that's appealing to me. If it if someone was like, hey, I want to do there's someone on the rational subreddit who's saying like I hated Shadows of the Limelight, except for the core idea. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like really vain and superficial, and they were like lying about their mm-hmm. themselves, their stories. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's the point. Of it. <laughs> it's kind of like, part of uh, the. But if you want to, yeah. yeah, if you want to write your own story with that core premise of fame gives people powers, I think that's a good core premise. I don't think it's been done very much, if at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No one has come to me and said, "Hey, this reminds me exactly of." This other thing, right, right. Which I've heard a lot for Glim Warden. But if someone came to me and was like, "Hey, I, I really like that idea," I'd, I'd be all for them taking it if they're going to write it about the same things as Shadows of the Limelight. I mean, I'm still fine with that. Mm-hmm. It would hurt a little bit if they wrote a better story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would just like wound my ego if they wrote their own story that took the core idea and then executed on all the ideas that I was trying to present better. Right, right. You're like, oh, that, that hurts. <laughs> it's like coming second in a race that you thought only you were running. Right, right. Well, ultimately, would you be happy to see it, do you think? Yeah. All right. I think a rising tide lifts all boats, Yeah. generally speaking. And then, like, if there were, like, a really popular version of one of my stories and I had done it first, I'd get bragging rights. That's true. First of all. Yeah. And... People would finish whatever that other thing was, and they'd go looking for more. Yeah. Even if my story is worse, they'd eventually find it. That's true. Again, like you said, the rising tide lifts all boats is something I actually very much think of when people argue about people reading fan fiction works and then not appreciating the originals. Like I know a lot of people have had their interest in Dragon Ball Z rekindled because of Dragon Ball Z abridged. I certainly wouldn't care at all about Dragon Ball Z anymore if it wasn't for Dragon Ball Z abridged. And something is something I think that companies don't understand themselves. But anyway, although Dragon Ball Z, I think is, it has has actually had a really good relationship with with their fan community because they've hired the voice actors for Dragon Ball Z abridged to do some little things on the show. Yeah, I think that always works out better for companies yes, than, than doing what Nintendo does and just stomping all over people. Right, right. Which they do for numerous of their properties. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to see a fan uh, take your work and, and adapt in a different way, or something that you like? You don't have the time to do it, but you'd, you'd be happy to see. Like you could. Oh my god! <laughs> if, if I go into like all the things that I don't have time to do, I think I posted in for Metropolitan Mana. There were like mm-hmm. three or four sequel ideas that I posted 
somewhere at some time. <laughs> and it was all stuff like I'm never going to write four different sequels. Right, right. Vault. But there, there are ideas that I, there are ideas that I really like, and I don't have as much time to write as I have ideas to write, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons I don't really care about ideas. I mean, uh, about my own ideas. I care about ideas. I don't care if I come up with an idea. It's I usually will just release it free to the world, and you know, right. if someone, if I'm talking about a project and then someone else executes it before I have a chance to, that's then I get to read it, I mm-hmm. guess. Except in the situation where I would posit an idea and someone else would take that idea and execute on it before I had my chance to, and I had already gotten Mm -hmm. most of the work done, that would be the worst case scenario. But that would be my own fault for putting the idea out into the world. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in specific you want to mention? No, I mentioned... In our originality episode, uh, I was working on, and this was not a case where someone took my idea. It was a idea that we both had, right? Mm-hmm. The spells as explicit sequences of phonemes, and then brute forcing them to like crack a master list of, uh-huh. of spell right, right. effects, which isn't unsung. And it's one of those things where that I'm not saying anything new with the idea. So now my story's kind of... I'm saying some new things, but not enough new things. And I it, it makes the idea lose its luster for me. Gotcha. Okay. But that's like a that's like a personal thing. I, I think there are probably some people who they see the same idea executed in a similar way and they just don't care, right. I guess. But for me, artistically, that's just sort of a death knell for a work. Yeah. For me, like you said, for me, there's been a lot of people who've who've messaged me, either for permission, which I definitely don't need to give, uh, but it's appreciated when, when they ask anyway, for permission to do something similar or, or use the same world or take like the same world specifically as in with the characters and they're somewhere else doing some, something else. The one thing that I feel like there's kind of is ripe for someone else to do is to two things, actually. One thing would be for, for in the Pokemon one would be if someone could do basically the same thing that I'm doing in general, but do a better job of rationalizing it. Again, just no better, like no more science to, to get everything done properly. Like you said, I, I think I would feel like my ego would be hurt by it, but at the same time, I'd be like, good. At least it's out there somewhere. That's the more important thing. Yeah. Because I do think sometimes that if I had more science background, I didn't have to spend so much time researching everything that I was thinking about. I could probably, one, do it better, and two, be cleverer with it than I am. The second thing is, I think there's definitely still room for someone to take the idea of rationalizing Pokemon, but with sapient Pokemon, like in the anime or comics. Yeah. And that would just result in a completely different kind of story, I think. Like, if I was writing that story, it would become a Pokemon Rebellion story and a whole new paradigm of the world in which humans and Pokemon live as equals rather than continue to use Pokeballs as anything other than transportation and emergency capsules or something. But... Yeah, I, I would be I would be interested in seeing what someone else did with that with that concept. Yeah. Um. Do you want to talk any about Guardian? Um. Yeah. Guardian. Guardian is also something that should be mentioned because it's. I definitely. Uh, I, when I mentioned it before, it was in reference of Pact. Pact was kind of the inspiration for the story. Pact is, if people don't know, Pact is a web serial written by the same author as Worm. It's uh, modern supernatural urban fantasy, whatever you want to call it. It's very dark and gritty. And my story is not nearly as dark and gritty. It's going to kind of stay within the young adult genre. 
probably a little more serious than most... Well, that's not even true anymore, because there's a lot of young adult fiction out there that's fairly dark and gritty. But just in general, it's it's not going to be as dark as that. But it's going to be... It is so far, and it's going to be a, a rationalist story. And the concept that I'm exploring in it is the one of Faye living in our world, exiled, and kind of just amusing themselves by messing with humans, specifically teenagers in schools, because they're such hotbeds of drama and intrigue and plot, and they don't actually affect much in the real world. Like, if, if Faye were going around messing with presidents and causing international calamities and stuff, there would probably be a rather severe response from other Faye or other supernatural creatures in power or human magic users and stuff like that, but they can get away with messing with kids at school without drawing too much attention to themselves. Yeah. So I wrote Guardian. The first chapter is up on my website now. It's about a main character who has a guardian Faye, an unwilling guardian Faye, who's there to look out for his well-being, quote-unquote, and he uses this as an excuse, essentially, to find other Faye at the school and try to stop them from messing with the other humans while navigating the agreement that his that his Fae Guardian has to watch over him. And like a lot of Fae stories, it's going to involve a lot of careful deal-making and that kind of thing. I'm going to be borrowing heavily from stories like Pact and the Dresden Files and Meredith Gentry and Changeling the Lost and just anything that I've, that I've ever read that I've enjoyed with the Fae, which is a lot of stuff, is going to be inspirational for it. So I hope I can do something new with it and justify the, the use of inspirational concepts. So far, the response has been pretty gratifying. Yeah. All right. This has gone on pretty long. I'm probably going to cut some parts out of it and see if I can get it to be under an hour. But if not, it might I might split it in two. Okay. Anything else? Um, no. All right. Uh, next time would be what? I forgot what the third episode suggestion was. Let me see. Oh, we were going to do, from what I recall, we were going to do literary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, literary fiction, yes, yes. Never mind. Don't don't even mention anything else. We have to do okay. literary fiction. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's it for now on creative appropriation. We're probably still going to continue to mention it at some point. Stay tuned next time. Finally, we're going to be doing our episode on literature and literary fiction as a genre. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for tuning in.